from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Good morning and happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast. It's President's Day, and so I hope everyone had a relaxing weekend. For those that are on bank holiday today, how dare you? For all of us that are working today, welcome to President's Day, the day a year where there was no school, no banks, but everyone else still did what they needed to do to go about their day. That's today. <laughs> February 19th, 2024. We've got a packed show, a busy weekend for all of y'all. If you haven't been keeping track, a lot going on. We'll get into that here in just a moment. If you haven't checked out our Substack, please make sure to do so. JamesAzehart.substack.com. It's a great way for you to support our program and our show. You can also do so by giving us a like, a follow, a comment, you know, a whole bunch of ways to do that. So please uh, don't be a stranger. Stop by, say hello, subscribe, follow, and do all the good stuff. Now, without further ado, it's Monday morning. And as many of us know, Monday is the busiest day for Starbucks. Just saying. I'm thinking, I don't know, for any coffee shop, probably because we all need coffee. I've got my double espresso this morning. Join me for a coffee cup. Cheers, y'all. Delicious. Not going to argue with you. Espresso is just so good. So good. Let's go ahead and get started. Avanti just woes continue, continue to happen. First of all, thousands of devices, 13,000 to be exact, still remain vulnerable to multiple security issues first disclosed more than a month ago, in which the vendor have gradually started patching flaws CVE 2024. 22024-46805-21887-21893 and 21888. The security ranges from high to critical. They concern authentication bypass, server-side request forgery, arbitrary command execution, and command injection problems. These vulnerabilities have been reported as being exploited by nation-state actors before they were leveraged at a larger scale by a broad range of additional threat actors. Thread monitoring service Shadow Server reports that its internet scans show nearly more than 3,900 of Vonti endpoints still vulnerable to CVE 2024-22024. Most of them are in these United States. The organization saw roughly 1,000 of Vonti endpoints that are still vulnerable to CVE 2024-21887. Avanti is struggling to patch this. And so... There's there's a few things here that we want to keep in mind and a few important takeaways. One, if you're using Avanti and you haven't patched, rip. If you haven't ripped, rip. If you're considering patching, rip it. Get rid of it. I mean, literally, this has been done so many times. Avanti is in the gutter. It really is. I don't mean to badmouth the product. I don't want people to lose their jobs. But at the same time, there is a limit. Now, if you're a security vendor and you've got five critical vulnerabilities, five critical vulnerabilities, and nearly a month later, there's still 13,000 unpatched servers, you have failed at the main duty of being a security partner for your customers. You have risked them. You have put them in a position that they are now vulnerable or they've been exposed or they've been hacked or breached or otherwise taken over. And as such, you failed. And if you don't agree with me, that's fine. But I'm on the bandwagon at this point where I say, Avanti, what are you going to do? I mean, and this is the responsibility, by the way, as a security partner. When you're a security partner and you're in the security business, when you have a vulnerability, 
when you're going through something this significant, you ought to stop everything you're doing, all hands on deck. Let's get this patched. Let's make sure our customers are good. Let's make sure we're providing active solutions for our customers. And then let's go back to business. There's a, a significant failure in Avanti's leadership. Significant. Additionally, the FBI over the weekend reported that they took down a, a botnet of small office home office routers used by Russia's main intelligence directorate of general staff, the GRU, to proxy malicious traffic to target the U.S. and its allies in spear phishing and credential theft attacks. The networks of hundreds of ubiquity edge OS routers infected with MOBOT malware was controlled by the GRU military unit 26165, also tracked as Fancy Bear. The attackers targeted U.S. and foreign government military entities and security and corporate organizations. The botnet was distinct from prior GRU and FSB malware networks distributed by the department in that the GRU did not create it from scratch. Instead, they relied on the MOBOT malware, which is associated with a known criminal group. And that's something as you get the bigger picture of the kill chain and the different militaries and the different units, the Russians have a significant criminal element. Now, a lot of that criminal element over time resided in the Ukraine. But if you're not watching the news, a lot of these Ukrainian hackers that have done work for the Russians are now getting arrested by the Ukrainians and extradited to Europe and the U.S. In fact, one of them just pled guilty, got 40 years in jail. And so Russia has utilized criminal gangs now as part of its greater edge to deploy malware and to deploy botnets. And it's and it's significant because it's showing the relation between the FSB and GRU, the cyber criminal gangs, and how you can't separate the two anymore. FBI did this as part of Operation Dying Ember. They remotely accessed the compromised routers and used the mobile malware itself to delete stolen and malicious data and files. Next, it deleted the malware and blocked remote access that would have otherwise allowed the Russian cyber spies to reinfect the devices. They also recently disrupted the Vault Typhoon state hackers with that botnet takedown. So the FBI has been really busy with that. The Pentagon is in the process of alerting 26,000 current and former employees, job applicants, and partners that their sensitive personal information may have been exposed in an online data breach that was first detected in 2023. Defense Cube viewed a notice dated February 1st, sent by the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, to a longtime Defense Department official, encouraging them to sign up for government-provided identity theft protection services as a result of the exposure. The letter is to notify you of a data breach incident that may have resulted in the breach of your PII during the period of February 3rd of last year through February 20th of last year. Numerous email messages were inadvertently exposed by, to the internet by a DOD service provider. Unfortunately, some email messages contain PII associated with individuals employed or by uh, employed by or supporting the DOD in response, CIA referred Defense Cube to the Pentagon spokesperson who subsequently did not confirm which service provider was involved other than to say 26,000 individuals were victims of this recent breach at the most sensitive place in the country. And there we have it. That's why uh, CMMC can't come soon enough. SolarWinds patched five remote code execution flaws in their access right manager solution including three critical security vulnerabilities that allow unauthenticated exploitation. CVEs 2024 2347623479 are due to path traversal weakness, while the third critical flaw tracked as CVE 2023-40057 is caused by the serialization, deserialization of untrusted data. 
the other two bucks, CVE 2024-23477-23478 can be used in RCE attacks and have been rated high by SolarWinds. Four of the five flaws patched this week were found and reported by anonymous researchers working with Trend Micro Zero-Day Initiative. And the fifth one discovered by ZDI vulnerability researchers, uh, researcher Piotr Basaldo, uh, SolarWinds patched the flaws in version 2023.2.3, which was released on Thursday of last week. So you want to make sure to get that patched up as well. NSL group facing a new unknown infection, something really, really interesting called the MMS fingerprint. This is because of documentation in the ongoing court case between WhatsApp and NSO. This was labeled under infection, infection assisting tools. Um, NSO claims that it can reveal the target device and the OS of the target device without any user interaction, engagement, or message opening and can be used against all three, Android, BlackBerry, and iOS. There's no known MMS fingerprinting infection route, according to Cathal McDade, VP of Technology, a Swedish telecom security firm, Inea, who investigated this. Um, MMS was introduced when not all phones could were actually able to get uh, phone uh, pictures, right? So... If you got an MMS, if you recall back in the day, go back 15 years, 20 years. If you're if you're that old, you'd remember this. Someone sent you a picture and your phone wasn't MMS compatible. You'd get a text with a link with a binary, and that binary would take you to essentially a web page that would take forever to open. You'd give up on it essentially in most cases, and just you'd never get the MMS. And then you'd see the person and be like, "Oh, I sent you a picture. Did you get it?" And you're like, "No, my phone doesn't receive pictures." If you don't remember that, it's a great time for all of you with smartphones. You're spoiled. <laughs> and they attested this because apparently the retrieval of the message is not only is, is not spe uh, specifically MMS. It can be an HTTP get request to the URL address contained in the waiting message. The interesting thing here, he writes, is that within this HTTP get, user device information is included. It was suspected that this may be how um, the targeted device information could be leaked and the MMS fingerprint could be lifted. Um, he tested this. It worked. Uh, all this describes possible infection route, which is what the NSO contract claims, rather than a specific device exploitation. So you've got a target. You don't know what kind of device to have that could potentially, you know, people who are super paranoid or work in journalism or in, in specific high value positions will constantly change their devices out of this fear. And they'll go between different OSs, meaning they'll go to an Android, an iOS or BlackBerry. And so the, the story here is that this is how they were using this in order to provide the device information in order to know how to take over that device for their customers. Um, to that degree, a very cool exploit, um, but it does exist. NSO has it, and it was available, it still is available for their customers. A Russian online threat group known as Winter Viverin was discovered exploiting cross-site scripting vulnerabilities in Roundcube's webmail servers across Europe in October of last year, and now many victims are coming to light. The group mainly targeted government, military, and national infrastructure in the countries of Georgia, Poland, and Ukraine. According to recorded futures Inskit group on the campaign released today, the report also highlighted additional targets, including the embassy of Iran in Moscow, the embassy of Iran in the Netherlands, and the embassy of Georgia in Sweden. Utilizing sophisticated social engineering techniques, the APT TAC-70, which is also known as TA-473, used the Roundcube zero-day exploit to gain unauthorized access to targeted mail servers across at least 80 separate organizations ranging from transport and education to chemical, biological, and others. The campaign is thought to have been deployed to gather intelligence on European political and military affairs. 
potentially to gain strategic advantages or undermine European security and alliances. The group is suspected of conducting cyber espionage campaigns serving the interest of Belarus and Russia, and it's been active since at least December of 2020. Again, a lot of geopolitical stuff there, and obviously over the weekend, the news out of Russia, uh, Nikolai uh, was uh, killed in or died in jail. Um, his body has not yet been released, and so that still remains to be seen. The U.S. has claimed that a recent cyber attack on Iranian military spy ship disrupted intelligence gathering on the Red Sea traffic used to aid Houthi, you call them rebels, I call them terrorists, in piracy, specifically targeting ships or uh, going to Israel against cargo ships. Exclusive reporting by NBC said the wage cyber attack on the ship took place more than a week ago against the uh, Iranian military ship MV Bashad, which, according to U.S. officials, was using its reconnaissance technology to share information with the Houthi terrorists in Yemen, the group behind regular attacks terrorizing Red Sea international shipping lanes uh, long backed by Iran. The Houthis rebels claim to be targeting the Red Sea uh, ships in the Red Sea as part of Israel's self-defense operation in Gaza against evil Hamas terrorists there. And finally, former NSA chief uh, Michael Rogers was at the useless <laughs> Munich Security Conference, uh, Munich Cybersecurity Conference, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the Munich Security Conference is what they really call it. It addresses uh, all kinds of different types of securities. It's just a bunch of world leaders to use their private jets to, uh, you know, go to Munich and talk about stuff um, without really doing anything different until they invited Michael Rogers. Why? Because he kind of let him have it, and in a good way. He said, continuing with the same strategies and expecting different outcomes is a low-probability success strategy. Among all things, he said, the need for uh, change in how countries respond to cyber incidents and defend themselves from threat actors to shift the focus from effort to performance, meaning don't tell me how much money you spend or how many people are working on the problem. What I'm interested in are metrics that indicate those efforts are translating into successful outcomes. By focusing on metrics, we're able to identify whether we are succeeding or not. The retired U.S. Navy Admiral and former U.S. Cyber Command Commander uh, Rogers learned a lot about strategy from his military experience. He said countries tend to do their best to combat cyber threats. Well, sometimes what they need to ask themselves is what can they do differently? This is what Ukraine did when Russia invaded two years ago. They launched both kinetic and digital strikes. Ukraine pivoted from a fundamentally different model in cyber. They did not, and they did that because they faced such a magnitude of threat. They needed to do something fundamentally different. Couldn't agree more with the former chief and happy there's still some of those voices around. That's it for our show this morning. We'll be back tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern live. Please make sure to give us a subscribe, comment, and all your favorite, and please make sure to share. Till then, have a great rest of your day. Have a great week, and most importantly, stay cyber safe.